Good evening, everyone. Very intense around here midweek. Uh, we are starting a new series called Faith with Friends, um, inspired obviously by words with friends. And uh, we were thinking about this and thinking about the, the impact of words with friends in, in our culture and how so many of us are, are playing and some of us are doing, you know, these magnificent words while other people like me are doing, you know, these shorter words and, and we've all found our place. You know, some of us are champions, uh, others of us are makers of champions and uh, things like that. Uh, but I was, was thinking about this whole idea of words with friends and then transitioning into faith with friends. I was like, you know what? That's what the church should be. I mean, could you, could you imagine, you know, if the church was really, if yeah, this is how you defined it. This is, this is just faith with friends. And we give one another words, these words of life, these words of encouragement that help propel us, help transcend us uh, from our current state and, and enrich our lives. And that's what we're talking about. And we were talking about, um, you know, what, what book in the New Testament, you know, kind of really uh, communicates this idea of faith with friends. And there's so many to choose from in the epistles because, you know, they're, they're letters written to, to communities, to, you know, communities that really are faith, a, a group of friends who, who are enriching each other's life in faith. And we decided, hey, let's go through the book of First Peter. So for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. And we're going to be pulling out words. We're going to be pulling out words out of the text that, that uh, really were, were these words of life, these words of encouragement to this community. Now, First uh, Peter was, was written uh, by, obviously, Peter, and he was writing it to the outlining communities of the Roman Empire. And it's a very interesting uh, time period in the Roman Empire that, that Christianity had basically had grown so quickly that there started to be a lot of mistrust about it. And people were starting to, to wonder what's going on. And persecution started to happen. And uh, the, the government didn't really like Christians because they were just kind of a pain. Uh, people of the Jewish faith didn't like Christians because they thought they were perverting the Jewish faith. And a lot of families didn't like uh, Christians just because it really disrupted the family order. And there was an emperor named Nero uh, during that time. Now, Nero, he was a whack job, okay? I mean, there's no, you know, he's one of the most you know, just this tyrant, and and he would do all sorts of of nasty things. Uh, he castrated one of his slaves and married him, and he would kill people um, and kill their spouses just because he wanted them and and things like that. But one of the probably biggest atrocities in history that he did, he wanted to uh, expand his his uh, palace, so he set Rome on fire kind of clear out the, the way. And he ended up uh, figuring out that that was a bad PR move, that he blamed it on the Christians. 
And what he did was he decided that, you know what, in this Colosseum, you guys all know the Colosseum, you know, millions of people go and look at it. Well, what he would do was take these, these pesky Christians and and put them in the middle of the Colosseum, and he would, he would capture animals from all over the world, exotic uh, uh, animals like, you know, lions and, and bears and tigers. Oh, my. And he would tie the Christians up in the center or just put them there, and he would release these animals to go in and just tear these people limb from limb. I mean, probably one of the most sick kind of times in history, one of the most violent times in history. And this is kind of the backdrop. This is the letters being written right before all of this kind of gets unleashed. And Peter is writing to this community to give them hope, to, to say, hey, you know what? You need to transcend the experience that, that you are facing right now and that you are going to face and to be able to have hope in the future. Now, this is critical for us because the reality is I believe that we live in a culture that is, has a hope deficit, right? That, that we, we really, you know, we have fleeting kind of shots at hope, but a lot of times it is just, we just do not have it. And hope is critically important. It's been said that you can live weeks without food, right? You can go days without water. You can even go several minutes without air. But you can't go one second without hope. Hope is what keeps us moving. It's what, what makes us take one step or just glimpse into the future. Two times in my life, I've, I've known hopelessness, like real hopelessness. And people would try to encourage me, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, bet your bottom dollar. And I'm like, tomorrow is too dang far away. Not going to make it till tomorrow. What else you got? You know, you can, you can, you know, what if we just go one more hour? And I was like, hour is too long. One more minute. And I remember I had a dear friend who came alongside me in this time. And I, I've never met somebody like this uh, before or since. Like, his prayer life just flat out scared me. You ever met, met somebody like that? Like, they just pray, like, too hard. Like, it's, un, you know, it's not reasonable. Uh, and, and I remember the first time I prayed with this guy. He's one of these fervent prayers. You know, I know you're meant to have your eyes closed, but I was like, I mean, this guy's intense. Like, what's his body? You know, he's like, like this. He's like sweating. And I remember he was like, you know, going on and on and on about, about some stuff. And then he said something that I was all like, whoa. He's like, you know, dear Father God, you know, just, we need you right now. And he's going on and on. I mean, like really heartfelt stuff. And then he said, Jesus, we want you to come back right now. I was like, whoa, dude, I'm not ready for Jesus to come back right now. I got like some stuff I got to do. Like, I, like, I'm like, I have a hope deficit here, but Jesus comes back right now. He's gonna be pissed because like, there's like a bunch of stuff that, that, that needs to be done. I am not prepared. And, and, 
I've never met somebody who, who was just that intent and, and had his hope of everything so firmly rooted in Christ and his desire to be reunited with essentially what is love. Love. None of us have ever known pure love, right? We've, there's been people we love, we, you know, mother's love for a lot of us is the closest we've ever come to unconditional, you know, acceptance and, 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 and just kind of seeing, your, you know, mothers seeing their kids through, you know, their eyes, you know, they can do no wrong. I used to say that my, my mother, I, I could get up here drunk and pass out off the stage and she'd find some way to encourage me, you know, and, and, lo- and love me through it. Well, everybody else, you know, has thrown you to the side. Your mom, you know, and her love, you know, that, that transcends, right? That, mom's meant to be there for you. But as pure and wonderful as that love is, it is just a shadow of true love. You see, we're told that God is love. I mean, think about that. I mean, just like that, that, that is God. God is love. And, and it's very difficult for us to even to, to kind of comprehend what that, what God must be like, because none of us have ever known absolutely pure love, unadulterated love. And that is where our hope is, is that someday that, that we will know that. And this is what Peter is writing about. If you look in uh, verse 2 of, of 1 Peter, Peter writes this, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. When I read that this week, and it, it made me pause, number one, that he just knew me. And that's echoed all throughout Scripture, that God knew us and he knit us together in our mother's womb, that he knew us and he chose us. God knew you and knew what all your successes were going to be, and he also knew your failures. He knew what your weaknesses were, and he knew your successes. He knew your shortcomings, and he knew your long goings. He knew everything and knows everything about you and still says, yes. And I still want to have a relationship with you. It's hard for us to to fathom that, and a lot of us doubt that, as Pastor Eric was talking about, because we've never experienced that. Even a mother's love at some point is conditional, but not with God. God is pure love. The second part of that sentence that caused me pause was this idea of holy. We talk about holiness a lot here, and especially the two sides of holiness. When we hear holiness, a lot of times we get confused because we hear scripture like, we want you to be holy or you should be holy like God is holy and stuff like that. And we're like, whoa, how can I be absolutely pure, you know, that, that I have all this junk in my life. And basically, the two sides of those holies is there's the Kadesh, which is 
the, the set aside for God's purpose in the Greek. And then there's kadosh, which is absolutely holy, like God's purity. But I read this line, you know, the Spirit has made you holy. I was like, wait a second, neither, you know, kadesh or kadosh does not work in that place. So I dug a little deeper and I was introduced to a very beautiful concept that Peter is talking about here. He uses a word here in the original Greek. It's agiosmos. Agiosmos. And agiosmos is actually this picture of refinement. It's that the actual picture of, of you, uh, if you had like a pot of just raw gold that had like all the impurities, everything in there, and it's thrown in the, thrown in the pot, and you put the fire in, and you're stomping on the air bellowing thing, and you're, you know, the fire coming up, and the, and the gold starts to melt, and then all that, you know, stuff that isn't pure comes to the top, and what do you, they do? They, they scoop off the top. And that's kind of the, the picture of this agiosmos, is this, is this purifying process. And if we reread that with this idea, God knew you. God knew all of your imperfections. And he chose you long ago. And it is the Holy Spirit that is coming in and is Agiosmos is, is guiding us in our sanctification or our purification process. And he says, look, as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So right out of the gun in his letter to these churches, these places where faith with friends, friends are coming together with faith in Jesus Christ. That he's saying, look, you know what? You guys have stumbled and you've had a hard time, but guess what? Agiosmos, that, that there is this idea of, of purification that is happening and it is all part of the plan. And all that crud is not unexpected from God. He didn't take it all in and start this process and expect, you know, was surprised when, when there was garbage in it. That's part of the process. And so many of us, we have erected through our life these coping mechanisms. I've done it, you've done it, we all, we all do it. You know, all these kind of different coping mechanisms to, to just deal with the crud of life. And through this agiosmos, through this refining process that, that we, are, we are being refined and purified to be able to release those and what Peter says, learn to obey Christ, to learn that we can trust in Christ and that, that His ways are higher than our ways. His ways are better than our ways. And basically what we come down to is, you know what? He knew us. He knew you. And through this refining process, we, have a, we become a new you. 
we become closer to what God originally envisioned his creation to be. He continues on in verse 3 and he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. This, this idea of great expectation. Let's just be honest. I don't think that a lot of us have that. And I think that this is really at the root of our hope depletion or our hope deficit. That, that we have lost our great expectation. What is our great expectation? Our great expectation is that we will one day be back in relationship with God. That we will one day actually be able to experience an unbuffered, the unbuffered purity of God's love. You may just put it this way, you know, a hundred proof love. Ever, the ever clear of love, right? You know, or the moonshine of love. I mean, that, 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 holy cow, you know, sometimes love is hard to take. And especially when it's pure like that, it'll make you gag. I love the way that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. kind of puts this idea of, of temporal kind of pain and the, and the eternal hope. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Never lose infinite hope. Peter continues and says, and through your faith, I want you to listen to this next part. This blew my socks off. God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. God is protecting you by the power, by his power, until you receive this salvation. We have language in, in the 20th and 21st century church. We ask people, are you saved? I'm saved. You saved? I'm saved. Good. Glad you're saved. Thank you. I'm glad you're saved too. And round and round it goes. But with that in mind, we read this from Peter. God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Until you receive this salvation which is will is which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see none of us really understand our salvation and what we are being saved from in fact it would be probably more appropriate to ask somebody are you hoped because this is what we have 
we have the hope of our salvation. We have the hope that someday, in the return of Jesus Christ, that we will be reunited and reimmersed into this love. That we are to, to be, have our hope. And we should go around like, are you hoped? I'm hoped. Good. You hoped? I'm hoped. I'm hoped up. Whoa, man. Maybe need to cut back a little bit. It kind of reminds me when I was in Guatemala. You'd walk down the street. People like, want some herb? Excuse me? Want some weed, man? No, I'm good. Okay. And you'd walk down, you know, a couple more feet, and, you know, somebody would walk by, and they'd just be like, you want some Coke? No, nah, man, I'm on a diet. You know, and stuff like that. You go, go around. You know, they, there were these, these, these pushers of drugs, you know. You know, you, know all, you all know how it goes. You know, hey, hey, you want, you want some of this sunshine? You know, the first taste is free. You know, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what? Kind of this, this idea of, of, of hope. We need to be hope dealers. We need to be getting people hoped up. We should be walking down the street at FSU and stuff like that. You're like, hope? What? You need some hope? I don't know. What kind of hope you got? You know, this, this idea, you know, it's like being peddlers of hope, pushers of, of hope. Not a salvation, but the hope of our salvation. But we have to have a great expectation. And I think that we lack that great expectation because we have all been so disappointed and so hurt and so pushed down. Paul talks about, about this idea of, of being immersed in love, finally, as, as looking through, through a cloudy mirror or a cloudy glass. Basically, that cloud is sin. That cloud is our brokenness. Our, this, our, this cloud is, is the pain and brokenness that, that we have erected into our lives. And the great expectation is that one day that all creation will become full circle and that we will be made fully human again. A lot of times people wonder what I mean by what does it mean to be fully human? Well, God's original plan, original creation, if you, uh, plan, if you read it in Genesis, is the picture of our great expectation. Not the garden, but an un, the unbuffered presence of God. We are told that God walked with Adam in the garden that he talked with him. And what our great hope, what we're all hoped up on, what our great expectation is, is that someday that window will not only be cleaned, but it will be removed, and that we will be brought back to our full humanity, the way that God had created us to be, so we can experience and be invited into a pure relationship of unadulterated, 100% proof love. That's the expectation. None of us have ever known it. Could you imagine 
being in the presence of the creator of the universe, our God, without any shame, within it, without any doubt of acceptance, all you feel is being wrapped up. And nothing else matters except that union. That is the great expectation. That is our hope to experience something that we have only seen glimpses of. In verse 6, he continues on and says, So be truly glad there is, a, there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have, endure, have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as the fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Again, this, this idea of agi, agiosmos, this purification process. And I like to think about it in this way. You have the blacksmith, right? And he's got his like tent and he's got his, uh, his big fire and his bellowing things going. And, you know, the guy's, you know, got big old guns, you know, because he's like, you know, throwing the big hammer down. And he's, you know, kind of sweaty hair on the back. You know, he's a man. None of these wax guys, you know. I mean, this guy's furry. It's like Esau. And, and he's sitting there, and he's got this piece of steel over the, over the fire, and he's doing the bellowing thing, and he's got this big hammer, and bam, bam, bam. You know, if that sword, if that piece of steel was a human, we would all cry out, stop. But this is the picture of, of the agiosmos, of life pounding at us. The fires of adversity engulfing us. That throughout Scripture it is echoed, sacred echoes by James and Paul being told, you know what, when the fire comes, when you are hit with a hammer... Let it be opportunity for pure joy. Why? Because we like getting hit in the head with a hammer? We like being burned? No. Because when that blacksmith makes that fire hotter, and when that blacksmith hits that sword one more time, it is being changed. It is being purified. And it is being strengthened. And that is why when we face trials, when we face adversity, when life pounds us in the face, that we can count it as an opportunity for pure joy because we know every time that we are hit that we are becoming stronger, that we are becoming closer to what God envisioned us to be. We are becoming closer to Him. 
He continues on, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You loved him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I love this term, inexpressible joy. I mean, joy is pretty dang good on its own, right? Like, I'd settle for joy. How about you? Right? I mean, it's cool to be happy, but to have joy, this kind of, this, this, this peace that transcends any circumstance. Dude, I'd sign up for that. I have signed up for that. But to get to a point where you are having inexpressible joy, like, this is so awesome I can't even express it. Like, you couldn't even do that. Right? This is, this is our hope that we're talking about. This is when we encounter a holy God. When someday that we drop our brokenness. Someday when, when all the adversity and all the tears and all the hurt and all the pain is behind us. When all the criticism and the, and, and the hurtfulness is gone, that it is our hope that we will encounter and be enveloped in, a, in the loving union of our Father. And at that moment, we won't be able to say, whoopee, or this is cool, or anything. Because we will be at a place where we are experiencing inexpressible, unexpressible joy. So let me speak to you who needs a word of hope today. That you are experiencing a hope deficit. There is one place that you can find hope. And that is Jesus Christ. Everything else is tainted and broken and is a cheap imitation of that. That our hope is in Jesus Christ. Not so much just because he died, but because he lived and lives. And that we through him have the opportunity to one day be enveloped in the perfect loving union. And for once in our lives, experience unexpressible joy. And not only for that moment, but for eternity. Will you guys pray with me? God, we live in a hope-deprived world. We have created so many band-aids and quick fixes and momentary distractions, but after they're gone, 
after the years used up, after the excitement is gone, we are back looking for something new, something stronger, just to help us make it one more day, one more hour, maybe even just one more second. God, I just pray that you will give us a great expectation, that you will make us dealers of hope, that we will speak words of encouragement and hope up everyone around us. That we will live out faith with friends and be encouraging and loving and remind one another what our great expectation is, what we hope for. God, I just pray for each and every person here that you will just breathe words of life into them and that they will experience you in a real way, in a way that makes us yearn for more, yearn for that day that we are enveloped in your perfect arms of love. Amen.